Hello and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast, where we seek to inspire and equip you to take your parish from maintenance to mission. My name is Mike Tanner, and I'm your host today, and I'm joined with Father James Mallon. Hey, Mike. Thanks for being here today. It's great to be here. Ron Huntley. Thank you. Good to be back. And we're here with Jeff Lockert, the president of CCO. Thanks for joining us today, Jeff. Happy to be here. I'm glad you're here. Uh, we wanted to, to have you on today to talk a little bit about uh, a few things, but why don't we start with a little bit of an introduction. So uh, who are you? How did you get involved with CCO? And what is CCO? And what is CCO? Oh, great. Well, uh, Catholic Christian Outreach is a university student movement that's dedicated to evangelization and focused on developing leaders for the renewal of the world, fundamentally. And how I got involved was as a university student myself. When I graduated, uh, moved to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan to take my undergrad studies at the U of S. Uh, I connected with some young people who were involved. CCO began at the U of S in 1988. And uh, I came on campus in 94 and ran into some of these very uh, joy-filled folks that uh, seemed uh, to have something uh, about them. Um, I was raised Catholic, uh, Catholic family, practicing Catholic family, you know, involved in youth group, et cetera. But when you leave home and you're on your own, uh, you start thinking about the questions of, well, there's no one to take me to church, no one to see if I went to church, you know, why should I keep going to church? You start thinking about these things a bit more. And I'd met these, uh, these young people and I got involved with CCO and it was really pivotal in my first year uh, through a variety of circumstances where... I came to a place that I realized like I was a part of my life, mm. but I don't know if I'd really put him intentionally at the center of my life as a young adult, you know, in, in that space. And so uh, I had an opportunity uh, through people in CCO to place Christ at the center of my life and to uh, live for him. And, and it totally changed. I remember the exact setting where I was at that moment. I was sitting in a cafeteria with the founder of CCO, Andre Renier, who I think at the time was, you know, the only staff member of CCO <laughs> where we began. And I was just sharing with him an experience, and, and he said, you know, I think I know what you're missing. You, I think you're looking for Christ at the center of your life. And we prayed a very simple but very heartfelt, genuine prayer. I prayed this prayer to ask the Lord to be at the center of my life. In that moment, there were no lightning bolts or, you know, but I felt a profound sense of peace. But the I always say the angels. choirs <laughs> of angels. But the, I would say the lightning bolts and the earthquakes came in the days and months that followed because mm. as I began to go to Mass or open my uh, wonderful uh, New American St. Joseph edition Bible in perfect shape that had never been cracked before. <laughs> I started to read the, read the scripture. The words jumped off the page. It came to life. Uh, I had really a, a profound, a deep sense of the Lord's presence in the Eucharist that I'd never had before. Mm. Um, and I also had a great heart for mission immediately. I just wanted to go and share the good news, tell people about this great, wonderful person, Jesus, who could who could come into their lives. So all of this sort of happened kind of mid-first year. And as I continued my studies, actually, I even was thinking about at one point, you know, you have that sort of mission enthusiasm. I was ready to maybe stop studying and go to Africa and become a missionary. Because um, that's what my concept was. Okay, to be a missionary, I need to go to Africa. I need to leave <laughs> to be a missionary. But again, sitting down with Andre, the founder, he said, you know, uh, a couple things. Uh, you know, there's a mission territory, a mission field right in front of you here on this campus. Mm. And he said, you know, and also God needs university grads, you know, people who have, have been educated, who have, who have experience at the university uh, to be missionaries in, in that area. So stay with your studies, which I did. Long story short, I also met a young lady who, who was involved. And at the end of my studies, uh, discerned a couple, there's a couple options before me, but I felt the Lord calling me 
to serve full-time with CCO as a lay missionary as well. Uh, I felt that sort of the, the one line that would summarize my discernment was he sort of said to me, you know, someone was there for you. I want you now to be there for someone. Mm-hmm. Jeff, what, what was it that you had studied at, at university? So my background is in kinesiology, sports medicine. Um, there's a whole variety of reasons why I chose that program. Prior to my, my conversion to that moment of putting Christ at the center of my life, I was actually pre-optometry. But I kind of realized with the light of faith, a deeper faith, that my motivations for optometry were primarily financial and ease. <laughs> Be a doctor, work nine to five, make loads of money. So I wasn't overly concerned about the care of people's sight. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, uh, so reorienting that and thinking about where were my passions, where were my gifts, uh, and the types of programs that draw me to, to kinesiology because I had a love of, uh, of the human body and science and performance. But the program also afforded probably the most flexibility for unrestricted electives. So I actually did a minor in theology through the, uh, through the religious studies faculty. And I got to take a whole bunch of other stuff. I studied German and computer science. So I kind of, in a certain sense, got to do almost a, a classic liberal arts degree, but with a, with a science with a specialization. useful degree at the end of it. So, yeah. And then at the end, as I said, you know, it's kind of discerning, well, I had some options professionally, but I really felt the Lord say, I want you to use your gifts uh, in this area. And the other thing maybe leading to some of the work that I'm doing now is that the College of Kinesiology actually had many of their graduates who went off into other areas, banking, uh, medicine, because the foundationally in kinesiology, you're working with people. Mm-hmm. I mean, anytime if you're coaching, if you're doing rehab, whatever it is, it's all about people. And the proper functioning of, a, of, so. of an organism, of a, an organic entity, of a body. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's quite the metaphor. Yeah, yeah. So I always say, you know, I had a great education because I got to study the body and the soul. Yeah. <laughs> Human and the spiritual, you know, to right. kind of together. And, uh, but yeah, so I joined staff with, uh, with CCO. And I was placed first in Saskatoon as the team leader in Saskatoon because uh, Brett Powell uh, and his wife, who were working with CCO for uh, 18 years, and at that time had been working in Saskatoon, we sent them to Vancouver to start CCO there. Mm-hmm. So then I took his place. And a few years later, as we were growing, um, I was asked to take on a more national leadership role with, uh, with the movement. I'm thinking as, as you're speaking, the, the, the listeners or viewers who have been traveling with us for a while, and even those on, in, in the network who have watched some of our leadership sessions, there's some, there's, there's some names you've dropped there that people are like, oh, but we already know that guy. We've been, <laughs> you know, Andre has been on our podcast at least once. And Brett Powell has done a number of our leadership sessions and I think has been on the podcast as well. So in reflection uh, on that, like we have been very deeply impacted and influenced uh, by CCO, by people like yourself and Andre and and Brett. And I think to St. Benedict Parish in the early years, remember uh, Tanya Rogerson was Mm -hmm. on our staff team and she had been a CCO missionary. And she was the one actually who... uh, insisted that I read this book by this guy called Patrick Lencioni. And I think it was either either you yeah. or Brett Powell who had uh, who had introduced her to these books as well. So yeah, many ways I'd like to say uh, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be here as a ministry without your influence. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, it's always been a passion for us, the leadership development. Uh, Patrick Lencioni, interesting story there. Uh I was involved with a small group of, of, uh, of uh, ecumenical leaders in Saskatoon that put on a leadership summit conference, it was called. And one of the speakers we brought in was Patrick Lencioni just before he released Five Dysfunctions. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of pre wow. his major influence. And at the conference, he actually presented a lot of the raw material of Five Dysfunctions. 
And, uh, and I just immediately recognized the wisdom there and latched onto it. And we implemented it. We're probably one of the earliest adopters of the five dysfunctions as, as, a, as, a, as a key part of our own leadership uh, strategy and formation, et cetera. And then quickly that led into the whole meetings, death by meeting and all the yeah. structures there. So we've, we've greatly appreciated uh, Patrick Lencioni's influence and been a, a follower and an implementer for a long time. So, yeah, it's fantastic. So why is it so... I mean, you talked about the idea that, you know, you went off to college as, yeah. as, as many people do. And we have this sort of idea that, okay, we, we prepare them for the world and then we, we send them off. And, you know, my children are younger. I'm looking forward to those days of, of what they get to experience. But we often see that when they get there, they, they don't have that, that experience anymore of Christ. They're not necessarily going to church all the time. And many are, but, but many aren't. So where do you... Why is it so important to you that that be where CCO focuses? I mean, is it, why is it that you're not, why is it that university is where you've really decided this is where we're needed, that this is where the mission is? I think there's a couple, a couple of reasons there. So number one, uh, you know, as students leave and make that transition from the home, if they're leaving, you know, kind of to go to college or even just from high school and stepping into young adulthood, they're exposed to a whole world of ideas, which is awesome. It's a great opportunity to be exposed to the world of ideas. But there's an, a lot of bad ideas. <laughs> and, uh, and a lot of those bad ideas have incredible amounts of energy and enthusiasm and things behind them to pull mm-hmm. them away. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, it's important that there's a, a counter voice, a voice for truth, for reason, and for beauty, and for love that's proposing something to them at, at this time. It's, it's critical. Uh, but secondly, I think that, um, you know, there's, a, there's an adage they said that young people, you know, are old enough, university students, to want to change the world, meaning they still have idealism mm-hmm. within them. Yeah. And they're, 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 pardon me, they're young enough to want to change the world and they're old enough to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's sort of that interesting space between, you know, kind of a, a younger teenager and then sort of that, you know, kind of more cynical, life's have gotten a bit harder, less idealistic kind of person. And right mm-hmm. in that gap is, is our young people. Uh, and then thirdly would be uh, connecting to leadership and, and influence in the world. Uh, the high school I went to in, in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, was named after uh, George Vanier, one of our governor generals, a mm-hmm. strong Catholic, uh, amazing guy who's actually sort of potentially in the process for canonization. Is looking yeah, at he, he and his wife. Yeah. yeah, both he and his wife. So we had a quote on the wall of our gymnasium that has stood with me and has been sort of one of the driving motivators for me for a long, long time. He said at one point, tell me the character of a nation's young people and I will tell you the future of the nation. Wow. Tell me the character of a nation's young people and I'll tell you the future of the nation. So if we want to look at the future of the nation, the university is a place where sort of the cutting edge of culture is happening. It's where our doctors, our politicians, our lawyers, our teachers are, are, are all mothers and fathers. That's where they're being formed in their vocation, but also in, 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 their, in their beliefs, in their lifestyle, in what, what, what they hold as important. You know, they, you probably make the three most important decisions of your life uh, during those college formative years. What will be your profession? Who will you marry or what your vocation will be? And what will be your beliefs or your faith, your yeah. ethics and your, and your faith? Yeah. By the time you graduate from university, a lot of those things are fairly well established. And it's not that they can't change. 
but it's in those college formative years. Yeah. It's so much harder to change them. I mean, we, we talk a lot about, you know, uh, my children are doing French immersion and French school. And if you have them learn that in that set period of time when they, they can absorb all that information, it's great. And they can still do it after that, but it's much, much harder. So if you're going to decide to change someone's mind after university, you know, that's that's not going to get suddenly easier as, you, as you move down the road. Being, being on a particular trajectory. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's very... Yeah, so young people are open at that time. And and people always ask us, like, this must be hard on campus. And, I mean, there are challenges. But fundamentally, when you meet young people where they're at and you propose the gospel in a way that they can relate to, which is another thing that's important to us at CCO, uh, they're open. They're open to consider. They're open to, to, to reflect on it, to talk about it, especially with their peers. You know, John Paul II, I think it was in Denver, he said, young people must be the first apostles to the young. So that's why as a, as a as CCO has grown, we have a, a missionary staff team now of over 100 people. And most of those are recent college grads, you know, kind of between the ages of 24 and 30, who've also set aside uh, their particular technical training. Some of them are engineers, some of them are teachers, so all different disciplines, actually, for the love of the gospel to want to uh, reach young people uh, in those college formative years. So... I mean, I, I really love the idea that you have these people that you can get that that passion into. And I know one of the things, you know, you came through CCO and now are the leader of CCO. And I know you have people who have come through missionary roles with CCO and have moved on to leadership roles. So can you talk to me a little bit about how you develop those leaders through CCO and, and why so many, so many go on to leadership roles within the organization? Yeah, so, I mean, at the heart of it, it's, it's that we have a, a, a commitment to forming leaders. Um, you know, first and foremost, we have a commitment to forming missionary disciples. And even our mission statement, which is sort of twofold, the, the very pr- primary part of it talks about, you know, the evangelization of young people. So that's that's at the, at, the, at the first and foremost part of it. But then we talk about, you know, have leaders for the renewal of the world. Um, and in order to have leadership that can renew the world, uh, we need to help, we need to form them to, to, to be leaders in, in these ways. Um, and certainly the, the, our goal in renewing the world is to bring the Lord, to, to introduce the world to the person of Jesus Christ. But that's a leadership-intensive challenge, a leadership-intensive task. So how do we do it? Well, again, first of all, I'd say just at the foundation, it's forming them as missionary disciples. That's a key, key area, and, and we have a lot of things that we do in that area. But then secondary, giving them opportunities to grow as leaders, to learn as leaders. And I think one of the underlying cultural things that has enabled CCO to do that is that we've, we've established a leadership learning culture we say that leaders are learners. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so having a curious nature, being willing to uh, uh, grow and learn, and as I think you've said in the past as well, Father James, you know, to, to look at all different places, including the secular business uh, world material, where people have been excellent at uh, what they're doing and, and leading, and to in- integrate that. Jeff, you just talk about establishing a leadership culture. When we say is one of our keys the best of leadership, I mean, there's a number of Things that that involves. It's about you know a, a servant leadership disposition, mm-hmm. being intentional about leadership, having a clear definition of leadership. You know, creating a a, a a healthy structure, a healthy culture. But also in that, you know, and also you know having you know being able to you know uh, clarify vision and articulate vision and and communicate vision in a in a way that wins people over. I mean, it's, it's a very big piece. Yeah. But a real part of that too is creating a culture 
of leadership. Now, you talked about you did that. So how, how did you actually go about that? And think back to the early days, because yeah, 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 yeah. some of those listening in, in parish <clears throat> ministry right now might be saying, well, this all sounds so foreign and strange. Like, how do we even begin? Yeah, it's, you know, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, right? So for us, the most single step, uh, I mean, leadership has always been sort of within my, a love of my own, even in, in high school and other areas. But within CCO, uh, it was probably my second year on staff, maybe my first year on staff. And simultaneously, there were sort of two books that, that entered our kind of awareness. Mm. A friend gave a book to Brett Powell, uh, the, the the classic Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey. Mm-hmm. And a friend gave me a book, uh, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by Dr. John Maxwell. So he was reading that. I was reading this. We swapped books. I gave him my book. He gave him <laughs> his book. We both read it together. And we basically just said, this is uh, awesome. And we essentially started integrating it into the formation of our staff. Uh, that, that time we had a, a staff training and, and he presented on that book. I presented on this book. And and basically, it just began an intentionality of integrating leadership learning into our practices and then encouraging our leaders to be learners, integrate, uh, you know, what are those things? Bring resources back, you know, teach on those resources. One of the most important ways to learn is to teach. Mm-hmm. And so when you, when you give someone an opportunity and say, I want you to teach us about what you're learning, you know, uh, then, then they learn it even more deeply. So sure. we, that's always been a principle that we've driven back into the organization is that we want each other to, to teach on it and to be open to all kinds of different sources. We've as well benefited from a number of conferences and extending our experience outside of that. But then also I think the Lord has um, cultivated uh, within us uh, experiences based on just what we've, what we've dealt to deal with and as we've been growing that have also formed us uh, in a particular way of, of, of leading. One, one of those, and probably the most significant one that would sort of um, summarize it, is what we call incarnational leadership. And fundamentally, incarnational leadership is the blend of the spiritual and the prophetic dimensions of leadership with the practical and uh, human elements of leadership. Or to sort of say it's sort of the, it's the prophetic Holy Spirit element and the, the, the best business practices. And it really sits, of course, in the, in the mystery and the understanding of, of the incarnation because the incarnation within the person of the Lord is both fully human and fully divine. Mm-hmm. He wasn't uh, diminished in his humanity and he wasn't diminished in his divinity. So those two things are, are, are combined together. And so as Christians, I think we're called to be incarnational leaders, to combine uh, the best of the spiritual elements of leadership, the prophetic, the, 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 the insights gained from the Holy Spirit, the sensitivity to the promptings of the Holy Spirit that might kind of invite you sometimes to do something that's a little less uh, practical or, or, you know, seems a little odd, like to step out of the boat onto the water. You know, I don't know if there would have been a good business book that would have said, step onto the water. That's the best way to, you know, but sometimes when you, when you, when you focus on the Lord, you have your eyes on the Lord, he calls you to certain things that are faith stretchers, mm. but to blend that with the best of, of, of execution of, of discipline processes of the practical human elements. And again, it, it comes back to things you guys have talked about as well too. It's a very Catholic understanding. It is mm-hmm. grace builds on nature. St. Ignatius said, you know, pray as if everything depended on God, work as if everything depended on you. 
Was it St. Ignatius? I always thought it was St. Augustine. Anyway, so he probably got it from St. Augustine. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> we can ask him later. <laughs> Hopefully. So, that's our plan. But, it, but that's it, right? It's, so it's sort of like there's, there is a narrative out there that sort of says, well, leadership in the church should be all spiritual. You know, you, it mm-hmm. needs to be more like leave it to God or let, uh, um, you know, just be more spontaneous in the spirit. Why do you have to have such rigorous business discipline? And there's also say, well, we need just to have business discipline, you know, not so, uh, um, you know, kind of much uh, involved with uh, praying about things. Like we have our opening prayer at the meeting, you know, the Our yeah. Father. And quick, quick prayer. Quick prayer. Quick and just. Then, and let's get Father, just can you, Father, can you pray yeah. just a quick prayer? And let's get down to business, you yes. know. But really, it's got to be a dynamic um, blend of, of those things. Um, and so some people have come into some of our meetings have been quite shocked at, at when we have an offsite. We devote a significant amount of time to prayer. Um, you know, we would have a two-day offsite, and half of that first day is all just open space. We call it white space for the spirit. Mm. You know, we might sing together, pray together, listen, share senses. It's it's a very intentional and it's discipline because there's a lot of pressing stuff that sometimes you need to. You, you would want to get at, you know, we need to talk about this and we're not going to have enough time if we don't, but no, we, 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 we discipline to say, no, we will give this space to the Lord. And, and what in the end happens is that, you know, there's insights that come, senses, words that guide the strategic often in the end that, that get fulfilled or we come back to it like there, there's something, there's something. But again, this notion of, of an incarnational approach to leadership I think it's very applicable in, in obviously faith settings like your Divine Renovation Network. But I believe it should be something that is a, a lifestyle of all Christians because all Christians are called to be leaders wherever they are. Yeah, because leadership is essentially influence. Yeah, it's absolutely. So you can be, a, you're a leader in your home. You're a leader in your, in your business. You're a leader wherever. And so a Christian has a great advantage because he has the prophetic and the strategic you think, think too, we, we often focus on, in, in some of our writings, on is on the question of the model of priesthood and the fact that mm. the, you know, the, the church defines the responsibilities essential to priesthood is, is living out the, 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 the ministries of, of, of Jesus, a prophet, priest, and king. So preaching the word of God, mm. celebrating the sacraments, and, and governance or leadership. Mm. But that's not, doesn't just come from ordination, that comes from baptism. By baptism, exactly. we have been conformed to Christ as priest, prophet, king as well. And and as baptized believers, first and foremost, we live that out. So every baptized believer is called to live that that kingly part of the of the calling to and to do so intentionally. I think Absolutely. the big shift for people, like sometimes people see leadership as mobilizing people to get things done. And I think the challenge is can you look at leadership as an opportunity to unleash people? Mm-hmm. To, to be everything that they're called to be for a common good. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's, the higher, that's the higher goal. Well, one, of my mo- one of my favorite definitions of leadership, and indeed there are a lot of different ways, because it's a, it is a very dynamic and, and, and complex reality when you look at it. But one of my favorite definitions is that leadership is becoming great by bringing out the greatness in others. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, uh, uh, was espoused by a, a friend of mine who has done a lot of work in the area of virtuous leadership, uh, Alex Havard. And, um, and it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, perspective that can apply to everyone. Because as a mother or father, you can become great by bringing up the greatness in your children. Mm-hmm. As a business owner, you can become great by seeking to bring up the greatness in your employees, which is, which is good for the business. 
helping them to be in the right spot to, 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 to do things well and to grow as, as a person. But it also applies in, in the most deepest spiritual sense of ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, we are, we are spiritual beings. So we become great when we help people to really discover who they are meant to be, mm-hmm. which is a son and daughter of God. Mm-hmm. Becoming great by bringing out the greatness in others. Well, and you talk about that, Father James, when you say it's not what we want from people, it's what we want for people. Yes, yeah. I think that one of the things that I really love when you, when you look at the tenets of CCO and, and how they do things, how you do things, is the idea of one of them being one person at a time. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about why that's important to CCO and, and why, why you focus on that at the sure. university level? Yeah, so it sort of it has its grounding in a in a in a moment of, of revelation and experience that uh, that Andre had uh, right early on uh, at the start of the of, of the movement. Um, he had heard a lot of what was going on in, in the church at that time. Uh, there's a lot going on in the church at this time, um, and it was sort of discouraging to him. He was hearing about different things happening in South America and Asia, challenges the church was facing. And he felt his heart pulled, you know, it's like, what can I do about this? It's just, I'm here in Saskatoon and all this is happening. I've got to do something. And he went to the chapel and he was quite, uh, uh, yeah, quite upset by it, you know, but wanting to do something. And as he prayed and sat in the chapel in this space, he heard in, in his heart quietly the Lord say, if you want to reach the world, reach one person at a time. If you want to reach the world, reach one person at a time. And so coming out of that experience, and, and for us on campus, I mean, you want to reach the campus, reach one person at a time. Uh, CCO really believes in a, in a model of spiritual multiplication, which is a, an inter, it's a personal model shown by Jesus in the way he interacted with his own disciples to build into, to invest into people who can then invest and build into other people. We talk about it as proclaim, equip, and commission others to proclaim, equip, and commission others to proclaim, equip, and commission others. It's a multiplying model. And so, yeah, so one person at a time is, is uh, important to us because of sort of those initial experiences, but also it's a very practical approach. And it's also something, especially when people feel overwhelmed, like, what difference can I make? You know, I'm not a father, James Mallon, who can do all these things and has all these gifts and all of that. Uh, well, you can reach out to one person, and that one person uh, can reach out to another person, and that can make a huge, huge impact. You, you, you never know what God will do with that person. They're destined for greatness. It's within the Lord's plan for them. And if you can help them to discover that spiritually and, and, and through their, life, the, their lives, uh, then you can, you can have a huge impact. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because when we look at, I'm just thinking about how we apply this to, <laughs> how we apply this to churches because... Um, Priests, by the very nature of their being pastor, they're pastors of hundreds of people. If not thousands. You know. Yeah. And so for us, it's, you no. Know, how do you mobilize processes? Like, how do you understand leadership? Because we do have some priests who behave like personal chaplains and take this one-to-one kind of approach to That's priesthood. That's how we're trained. That's like, how we're indirectly, church. directly and indirectly told that this is what a good priest does. Right. And so can we, same principle, same idea, but a slightly different model in that raising up, like taking these principles and apply them to teams and processes so we can mobilize an entire church because we have, particularly if you think about shepherd leaders, they're really focused on a person. And it's wonderful. But that's a ministry. That's not necessarily... It's not always leadership in the context of a local parish because if you're not, you have to look at how you're investing your 168 hours a week 
and say, am I mobilizing mm-hmm. a lot of people? Because if not, we become a bottleneck. We talk about as leaders, we're either bottlenecks or bottle openers. And if you've been given hundreds, maybe thousands of people to lead, you have to think differently because some of them take that, that approach of just that one person, which is, is a part of their call to personal ministry, which is beautiful. But boy, that personal ministry time, that leadership time, we, we try to help people uh, kind of shift those out. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so, so the, the big difference there is that when we would talk about one person at a time, we would always see it through multiplication lens. What you're talking about is an addition lens. Yeah. You know, so I'm going to meet this person and then this person and this person, so I'm going to add one, 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 one. A multiplication lens looks at who are those key individuals mm-hmm. that I need to invest in, that I can multiply through, that I can help them to reach others, help them to reach others. Then the model becomes exponential. Because if you're investing, and it's, it's all based off of the life of the Lord, right? Life of the Lord, he, he didn't ignore the masses, but he didn't spend most of his time with the mass amount of people. He had chose 12. Yep. But of those 12, he chose three that he spent significant amounts of time with. So that was and a, of those three, there was one there in particular. Was one, he yeah. even spent more time than exactly. three. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's still a, a very a one-on-one model, meaning he mm-hmm. spent a lot of one-on-one time with particular people that, that, that he chose. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great uh, book... Um, that we've used that comes from uh, from uh, um, an evangelical author called the Master Plan of Evangelism, and um, it's uh, the it's scripturally based in the principles, but it looks at what was the Lord's approach when He wanted to reach the world, and how did He do this? Basically, how did He divide His time, and why did He divide that that time that way? And so that's that's how I would see it: is that when you think about one person at a time, your, your, your mindset should be a multiplication one as opposed to an addition one. That's exactly what we I, do. I think too, that the, <laughs> the present model that we struggle with within parishes, it, it's, it's, it's deeper too than simply what's my model of leadership is it addition or multiplication. I and mean, one of our big struggles that we have in, in our church and in, not just in our church, but in many churches is, is clericalism, the, the professionalization of Christianity. And my favorite definition of clericalism is, is the appropriation of, by the clerical caste, ordained or otherwise, of what is proper to the baptized. So the the, the paid professional embodies uh, not just ordained ministry, but essentially what what the, what the baptized what baptism is 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 supposed to be. So in that, there's a kind of codependency that happens. Mm-hmm. There's very unhealthy codependency, and what it allows is is a passive laity who are ministered to, mm-hmm. and an affirmed. Uh, clerical caste, because if the task of leadership is to be great by helping others to be great, the clerical model says, I'm great, and I know it because everyone tells me I'm great. Mm. <laughs> oh, father, 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 right. father. And the reason people say, oh, father, 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 is because father spends all his time and energy meeting people's perceived needs. And you got this very dysfunctional, codependent thing happening. Yeah, it's sort of a, someone once said, uh, and we've really taken this to heart, that, you know, culture, because that's a culture at, at root there, you know, how we view each other, mm. and that culture is defined by what you reward and what you tolerate. Yep. And but, so we often tolerate, um, you know, sort of this this uh, appeasement to father or the a deference to father, and the laity themselves will kind of be like, well, shouldn't do anything unless we check with father, which, you know, there's a certain, there's certain wisdom in that, you know, you want to check with your leaders, but then it becomes this relationship where well, we, we don't do anything unless Father tells us to do that. Yep. And then Father gets into a place where he's kind of like, well, I need to now be the one who basically just checks off everything and doesn't necessarily transfer uh, authority 
or delegate authority and, well or leadership. At the same time, there's things. a counterbalance in that system yeah. because because that's uh, um, you could say that's a, a, a an abdication of responsibility by by the baptized and 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 being overly deferential. Uh, I mean, certainly with if if there's not a lot of control, there's going to be a line of accountability yeah, for absolutely. sure. But the 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 other side of it too is that there is an, sometimes an unspoken expectation on on the priest that, sure. that your primary task is to is to care for us. Uh, right? Don't you dare think about leaving the proverbial ninety nine to go in search of that one, mm-hmm. uh, because your job is to care for us. I was at a mass about a year ago. We had an ordination, and at the at the prayers of the faithful, uh, the you know a new, newly ordained priest in our, our diocese who's a great guy. The, the prayer of the faithful literally said this for Father so-and-so, his name, uh, that he may meet the needs of his parishioners and that his parishioners may affirm him. We pray to the Lord. <laughs> and I couldn't believe my ears. I, sat, I stood there. Obviously, I did not give my amen to that prayer. But think about that, that, that he may meet the needs of his parishioners, i.e. perceived needs, how would that go for a, as a model of parenting? By the way, uh, meet the, the perceived needs, meet the needs of my prisoners, and that we may affirm him. There, in 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 one prayer, you have uh, a beautiful articulation of the core dysfunction of our church. Right. Yeah. 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 No, it's it certainly is new understandings and new approaches to how the collaboration of of the clergy and the, and the laity work together in leadership yes. is sort of what I think many. Uh, uh, parishes that are wanting to to thrive, if not just survive, are, are coming to to recognize and coming to see to mm. try to in, engage in those ways. I had a friend of mine one time ask me, "We're having my buddy Wayne. We're having a hard time connecting to go to lunch. We're just trying to connect. And, you know, sometimes you get in a bad rhythm of right. your schedule's not me. I, I was feeling bad, and he said, "Oh, don't feel bad. I hope you're busy doing the thing all great leaders do, to which I'm thinking." I know I'm busy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm busy doing things great leaders do. And I went on to read his emails right. and he said, that is investing one unit of energy in areas you get a five times return, a yeah. fivefold return. And I think that's the difference between ministry and leadership. Mm. Uh, leadership is about investing in the people who you know will be able, you'll be able to get a return on your time and investment for the sake of the mission and the kingdom. Ministry's times when you're investing in someone you know full well. They're hurting and they're broken, and mm-hmm. God's calling you to love them and 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 befriend them and and whatever else that looks like. It's beautiful, yeah. but I guess that's what I meant. And before the key thing is like that, that, that's the, actually a good thing. Yeah, it's beautiful. But we it, need to but do it. But if you've got one unit of time, you you can invest that one unit of time in that one person. But if you if you um, enable five people in turn to 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 mobilize five other people, mm-hmm. then 25 hurting people can be ministered Amen. to. That, that's the that's difference. That's what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. yeah and, and then, you know, look, we have to also, like, sometimes in the moment, the Lord invites us to be present to that one hurting person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's the that's the that's why the prophetic is so important. We need to listen to the Spirit because, you know, we, we that, that person may need us in that moment. The Lord may have a word for us for them in that moment. Mm. But I think the difference is when you confuse leadership as being that. Yes. At, yeah. In that moment, you're not exercising leadership. It's okay. You're exercising a great gift of compassion and a great gift of that. Mm. And so it, if you're called to leadership, then it's about seeing like, okay, m- most of my time is spent, invested in, in, in those returns. And sometimes I'm tithing a bit of my time because the Spirit is asking me in this moment to be present to this person whose soul is beautiful and, and has dignity in the eyes of God. So... 
but yeah, it's, that, that's the, that, that's the challenge and the tension that leaders live with is, you know, how am I, am I using my time most effectively and most faithfully? Because mm. sometimes the Lord, Mother Teresa, always saw, you know, he doesn't necessarily always call us to success. He calls us to faithfulness. So, mm-hmm. and, and in that faithful prophetic supernatural dimension, sometimes, sometimes we, it's, it was strange. A spiritual director once asked me, he said, do you feel, uh, you know, or do you think that it could be God's perfect will for you to do something in all excellence and it utterly fail? And I sort of sat in that for a long time and I said, well, <laughs> I guess it possibly could be, you know, his will. And he said, yeah, it possibly, it possibly could be because his, his supernatural plan may, may, what he may be asking of you in that moment is simply to be faithful to do what you're called to do and leave the results to him. And if it fails, there may be some other end that he mm-hmm. sees. Now, again, that's the tension, right? Because we don't just set out, I'm just going to do everything that's going to fail. We, we do what we feel is going to be excellent, but we have to entrust the results to God and, and, and let, him, let him lead ultimately, mm-hmm. both prophetically and strategically. Yeah. So, What do you think right now is, like when you look at the future of CCO yeah. and what you're doing, what do you see as the biggest challenge you're facing right now to, uh, to your work, basically, and, and what CCO has in store for the future? Uh, that's a great question because it's like a long list of challenges. <laughs> always, Pick your favorite. There's always then, challenges uh, <laughs> that are that are that are ahead of us. Um, uh, you know, I, I think the 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 challenge for us is to continue to always be faithful to what the Lord has called us to do, but to be adaptive to whatever the circumstance is in that moment to express it in that way. Mm. Um, because that's always, you know, there's always the tension of mission drift, but there's always the, the challenge of the Lord saying, okay, I want you to do a new thing. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's probably the greatest challenge. I mean, there's, there's lots of other challenges like being able to, to sustain and grow. The mm-hmm. harvest is plenty. The labors are few. These are, are challenges that are, are perennial. Would you say that's a new challenge or is that a challenge no, that's, you've always that's had? that's a tension. challenge we've yeah. always had. Is there any new ones culturally that you're facing on the campus? Um, Culturally on the campus, you know, I would say that, um, you, you know, there, there remains openness with students, but culturally, again, where you see things happening within universities and other cultures is they're becoming less tolerant of, of a religious perspective, of a faith perspective, uh, institutionally and, and even personally at times. So, you know, the question remains, you know, what will, will our campuses be open to uh, a full freedom of expression of all ideas and beliefs, you know, or we already know the answer to that. So, horrifying. Uh, to the answer is a resounding no, at least in the Western world. Yeah, well, I mean, re- presently, right now, there, there, it's moving in that direction. It certainly is going in that direction, mm-hmm. but you know, it's not to say that that direction can't change, right? Yeah. So, it, you know, right now there is still the the opportunity for uh, for faith expression. We 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 do it. We're we're present on these campuses, right? But how, how will that change? And, and we've, we've, we've thought about, you know, we, we've, we've imagined in ways, you know, how can we, uh, if, if we weren't even able to step on a campus for whatever reason, you know, we just couldn't physically mm-hmm. go on a campus, how would we, how could we still fulfill our mission? We, yeah. We've talked about that. We've thought about those things so that we That's can cool. be adaptive to, to whatever reality cool. is. We don't spend a huge amount of time. You know, That's, but, that's a question of model and mission. How do we change yeah. our model? in different circumstances to stay faithful to the mission. Yeah, the other thing I would say is what we're we're trying to look at as well right now is 
the linkage through, um, so, you know, the st students who are, are on campus and, and graduate become alumni and then go out into the world, into, the, into various parishes and parish life. And so what our challenge there is looking at what are the things we can continue to do even better to equip them while they're on campus to be uh, world changers, both in their parish and in their professions and their families. And, um, uh, and what can we do to maybe support them as they, as they transition and they make those transitions? Um, we've, we've, we've always seen as a movement uh, CCO existing to, to reach the world and, and not necessarily to build a, a more people as members of CCO, but to renew the fabric mm. of the church. And mm. we do see that. We see our leaders in professions and places working in the church and working in other places doing that. But th our question is always, you know, how do we uh, work, especially with the other excellent things that are going on, which is one of the reasons why I'm happy to be here and I've known Father James for a long time and Ron for a little while and you today, <laughs> uh, you know, to work with folks like Divine Renovation because in the space that God has called you to be, uh, there's uh, synergies that can uh, enable the, the church to church's work to multiply and, and to benefit. And so being aware of what are the collaborations the Lord are, is calling us to and, and being intentional about wanting to and willing to spend time working in collaboration. Because it's not easy, you know, sometimes to, to collaborate, but it's been, a, it's been a heart of ours, you know, sort of catalyzing and collaborating with a lot of different movements and organizations throughout the world. Yeah. Uh, and Divine Renovation is one of those. Uh, Jeff, uh, just a question for you. Like one of my passions, our, our passions together, um, not just as Divine Renovation, but also CCO is, as we've been speaking about, leadership and being intentional about that and integrating that with, you know, to be incarnational. How do we raise that conversation uh, sure. within the Catholic Church? Uh, how At this time, I mean, for, for parish leaders listening or watching today, how how do we continue to press into this? Because one of the things that that I've off, that I often lament is the lack of Catholic voices in general right. on the leadership issues. I mean, I think of someone like Patrick Lencioni, who you know, even in his his so called secular books, the final page, you realize, you know, he he's a, he he's a man of faith. He's very open about his faith, so he's a Catholic out there. But specifically, people speaking into leadership in the church context. Compared to like the non-Catholic world, we there seems to be a real paucity of, of resources out there. I dream of a time where there's going to be tons and tons and tons like of, of, of Catholic voices speaking specifically to the art of leadership within within a faith perspective that, that becomes a part of our curricula in, in seminaries and schools and and but right how, right now we've got a ways to go, I think. And so right. how do we, how do we change that? A uh, couple ideas, you know, I, I don't have the perfect answer probably for you, but a couple mm -hmm. ideas that come to mind immediately. Um, the first one, I think, relates to sharing excellent resources that are already out there, whether they're spir uh, spiritual or non-spiritual. So, you know, some of the things that we've used that have helped us to meet the organizational challenges that we've, we've faced, we intentionally try to be strong advocates of those things, hence introducing you to Patrick Lencioni years and years mm -hmm. ago talking also about other works of other authors or thought leaders in these areas and sharing them because all leaders are facing challenges and, and, and need help. Amen. <laughs> you know, we don't have the collective uh, understanding and, and otherwise we wouldn't be facing these challenges. <laughs> so we, we sharing those things and advocating and saying, I was with uh, at Rise Up, a, a leader of another fairly large organization, Catholic organization, 
um, that is going through a change. And Rise Up is your annual conference. You do a That's big right. conference. You bring missionaries from all over the country. Yeah, yeah, we have a national yeah. uh, uh, student leadership yep. conference, about a thousand students from almost every university campus across Canada and, and, and also internationally mm-hmm. come. And uh, next year will be in Toronto, December 28th to January 1st, uh, cco.ca slash rise up. <laughs> um, so, but, uh, so one of these, we have a lot of different leaders that come there, religious orders, other organizations, et cetera, et cetera. It'd be great to have divine renovation there sometime. But um I was speaking with him and he was talking about a challenge they were going through. And I said, you know, we've, we've had some experience. We just went through a major change management item within our organization. And we used this particular um, approach, uh, which is through a, by an author, Joseph Grenny, called the influencer model, mm-hmm. which is a, a research-based approach to change management. And it was really excellent. And, and it was op- opened his eyes, you know. So first of all, advocating, you know, great resources, sharing those resources, helping others, because then they experience them, they become advocates themselves. The second thing I would say is, is, is trying to encourage those Catholic voices uh, to, to be sharing their experience. Even just initially, like I said, you know, sort of leaders are learners and leaders are teachers. So teach that to someone else. Teach it. If you've learned something, share it with another friend, pastor, or, or whatever that situation is, but also sharing other resources and, and just trying to take the, the, the courageous and maybe uh, bold step to, to be willing to articulate. A few years ago, I started a personal blog, jefflockert.com, to articulate my experience of the intersection of leadership and virtue. Mm. And I used it for a variety of reasons, but part of it was because a lot of times people would ask me things and, and to multiply myself, I could easily say, well, read this article. This will, this will, you know, I can, don't have to research where did I find that and send it to them. I can say, just go to this place. Mm. But the main reason I did it was because I felt the Lord saying, you know, like, just take time to practice speaking about your experiences. And one of those ways is by writing and sharing them. So, you know, they could start a blog, they could, you know, just write and share articles. Like, like make your speak up, I guess, is what I'm trying yeah. to say. It's just and, and then and then hopefully we can share those things with others and, and sort of start to advance the the the, the pool of resources. You know, what I love about our divine renovation open house that's coming up is that that very theme of take what you've learned and share it with others mm-hmm. and open the doors and invite people to come discuss, you know, what it looks like for parish leadership in these different models. It's just so exciting to me. The open house is where we're inviting parishes in our coaching network to host one day conferences. And quite a number of them have said yes. And so around the world and one day there's going to be these conferences all over the world with, we produce, we, we, we provide two keynotes, but they do all the workshops and everything else. Mm-hmm. And they're speaking out of their experience in teaching. Mm-hmm. And when they do that, they grow tremendously. It's going to yeah. be great. Well, I, I want to thank you very much for joining us today, Jeff. This was an, an amazing conversation about what CCO does and why it's so important. And, and more importantly, about leadership in general and how we can use it in a variety of different ministries. So I, I definitely want to thank you. You're welcome. Um, before we go, if, if you had one last thing you wanted to say about CCO or about leadership in general, what, what would you like the people to hear about what you're doing? Uh, well, I think uh, the, what I'd say is, is, you know, please pray for us because we absolutely um, feel the difference that, that prayer makes mm-hmm. in, our, in our ministry with students. And we need we need those prayers. Uh, so and and you know if there's other ways that you can uh, encourage or tell others about what we're doing, we're we're grateful for that as well too. Because there may be a college student who goes to a campus and doesn't know that CCO is there. So if you tell others and share that, that that's that's really really helpful. Multiply, multiply exactly. And, and then I would just say uh, I would just encourage you know to to be. Uh, 
uh, to dare greatly, you know, to, to, to be magnanimous, to, to take a step um, and to become great by bringing out greatness in others. Well, thank you very much. Uh, for those who've uh, watched this or listened to us, uh, if you have questions about this episode or about other episodes, uh, please reach out. It's facebook.com slash divine renovation. Uh, you can also find us at, on Twitter at D-I-V-R-E-N-O. Uh, we'll have links to CCO in the show notes so that uh, people can reach out to you and, and find ways to connect. And uh, I just hope that everyone has such a blessed day and that they were able to get something really great from this conversation. So thank you very much.